It is a beautiful day, and we're so thankful for the opportunity to be together today. I do want to very quickly say that we've got a number of young folks that are going to be going to camp this afternoon. They're going to be leaving after worship today, and we trust that they'll have a safe and happy week, and uh, hope everything goes well for them. I know they're excited, and we're excited for them. We're going to be looking in our study today at some passages that relate to the prayer life of Jesus. And as we begin our study today, I want to suggest to you that Jesus, as you well know, is our great example. The Bible talks about, in 1 Peter chapter 2, that Jesus has left us an example that we are to follow in His steps. And so today what I want us to do is to look at the life of Jesus. And there are so many different aspects of His life that we can learn from. Today specifically, I want to talk a little bit about His prayer life. Because when you begin to examine what the Bible has to say about His prayer life, there are some things that we can glean from a careful study of how He spent time in prayer to the Father. I want to begin today by talking about, first of all, that Jesus prayed regularly. Someone has concluded that after examining the Gospel of Luke, that it could well be styled the Gospel of Prayer. And if you'll look at the book of Luke, many, many instances are recorded of Jesus spending time in prayer to the Father. There are about 14 times the Bible references the prayer life of Jesus. Now think about this. If Jesus saw the need to spend a lot of time in prayer to the Father, then what does that say to us? How then should we react to the various circumstances of life? I would suggest that we would do well to spend time in prayer to the Father. Let me just cite for you some examples. You remember in Mark chapter 1, the Bible tells us in about verse 35 that on one occasion Jesus rose early in the morning and went out to a solitary place and there He prayed to the Father. I do not know how you begin your day. But I can't think of a better way to begin each morning than spending some time in prayer to God. Praying about your day's activities. The various things that you're going to be confronted with. And you know, sometimes there are things that come our way that are totally unexpected. But to equip ourselves in prayer, Jesus rose very early in the morning and went out to a very private place and there prayed. You might have a very special place that you, that you spend time praying to the Father. It might be that there's a place in your home that you go to because you know you can go and not be bothered. And you can bow before the Father and you can literally lay before Him your thoughts, your requests, your needs, your wants, 
expressions of thanksgiving. And then you remember, for example, you remember what Luke said over in chapter 6, that before Jesus, before Jesus selected the apostles, He spent the night in prayer to God. Many of us make decisions on a regular basis. Life is about making decisions, isn't it? Sometimes we make the wrong decisions, and quite possibly the reason we make the wrong decisions is because we haven't consulted God in prayer. Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And what will He do? He'll direct your paths. You remember James in James chapter 1. Which say man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, and abrades not. To know that we do have a friend in the Lord, and that we can go to Him for counsel, direction, for guidance. Regular prayer can benefit us. In Psalm 55, David, in the context, is talking about some difficulties that he was facing in life. Apparently, there was someone very close to him that had done him a great deal of harm, hurt him deeply, cut him deeply. And David would say in verse 17, Evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud. The passage that was read a moment ago in Luke chapter 11, we find Jesus praying on this occasion. And Luke tells us that as Jesus prays on this occasion, when He ceased, one of His disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught His disciples. There are a lot of things that we can learn from Scripture about how to pray. And one of the things that we ought to understand is we can learn from looking at the prayer life of Jesus, can't we? Jesus prayed regularly, over and over again. You'll find the Lord Jesus spending time, quality time, with the Father in prayer. Now you know Luke said in chapter 18, verse 1, that Jesus taught that men ought to, listen to him, Always pray and not faint or grow discouraged or become weary. So how then do we offset sometimes the injustices and the difficulties and the trials and tribulations of life? Well, Luke said that Jesus gave us the antidote, didn't He? Let's pray. Pray to the Father. And then listen, if you would, to what Paul said. And Paul spent a lot of time in prayer. Paul would be another great example of prayer. But Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and he would say, pray without ceasing. And the idea is that we ought to have this unceasing, untiring spirit of praying to the Father. Someone has said on one occasion, a friend is one before whom I may think aloud. And so as you contemplate the privilege of prayer, and the opportunity to literally pray in the presence of God. To, to pray to God. And you think about Jesus being our friend. He's an ally, isn't He? And so we can bow our heads in prayer to God as Jesus did. Now Jesus prayed 
regularly, but there's a second thought I would call attention to. He prayed not just regularly in life, but he prayed thankfully. In John chapter 11, we find Jesus, and he is at the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus identified by John as a friend of Jesus. Jesus was close friends with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And Mary and Martha had sent word to Jesus that that his friend, Lazarus, whom he loved, was sick. Now the record tells us that Lazarus died. So Jesus goes and he meets Mary and Martha, and they express to him, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus points out that those who believe in him will never die because he is the resurrection and the life. And so in John chapter 11 and about verse 41, Jesus bows his head to the Father. And as he bows his head to the Father, he said, Father, I thank you. Now, did Jesus have a lot to be thankful for in life? He expressed on this occasion thanksgiving to God, and He's going to tell us why He is thankful to God. But the reason I call this point to our attention is because there are so many things that we as Christians have to be thankful for, isn't there? The song that we sing so often, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. If you were to sit down and begin cataloging all the great blessings and favors that you enjoy from God, I suspect that you would have quite a lengthy list. James tells us every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above. The source of all of our blessings in life, physically, mentally, materially, spiritually, every single solitary blessing comes comes from above, doesn't it? Didn't the psalmist say, blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits. Paul would say to the the people in Athens many years ago that God is the giver of all life, breath, and all things. And then he would go on to say, it's in Him that we live, move, and have our very, very being. We couldn't exist apart from God, could we? God is our creator. He is our sustainer. And yes, He's our redeemer. And then I think about Paul again, writing to the church at Thessalonica. And he would say, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. In the context of prayer, when he wrote to the church at Philippi. Do you remember Paul said, in nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. He is invoking us to pray to God, to offer unto God our prayers, our supplications. And when you think about that word supplicate, it carries with it the idea of someone who is indigent, in need, as we would say. Are there times in life when we have very specific needs and we go before the throne of God and we isolate those needs? Well, the answer would be yes, wouldn't it? But note if you would, Paul said that our prayer life is to include thanksgiving. And why is that? Because we've got so many things to be thankful for. 
We are privileged to live in the presence of God day in and day out and to enjoy His handiwork. Sometimes we talk about the providential care and safekeeping of God. Jesus talked about the providence of God. He would say that He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. That's the God we serve. And there are so many things that we have to be grateful for. Now sometimes, you know, in life, it might be the case that we are facing some tough times, difficult times. And once that storm has passed and we look back and we ask ourselves, how in the world did I get through that? And then it dawns, us, dawns on us by the grace of God. We ought to thank God, shouldn't we? We ought to thank Him for His many blessings. In that same context, Jesus not only prayed thankfully, but the text tells us that He prayed confidently. Jesus said, Father, I thank You because You have heard me. And then in verse 42 He said, And I know that You always hear me. Aren't you glad that just as Jesus had confidence when He bowed before the Father in prayer that God the Father was listening, that whenever you lift your voice to God, there is the assurance that He is listening to everything you say. Didn't Peter say in 1 Peter chapter 3, the eyes of the Lord are open, are over the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayers. Now think about that for a minute. Can we not with Jesus confidently affirm that God is listening to our prayers? Have there been times in life when you have questioned, is God listening to my prayers? Have you ever thought, you know what, I pray over and over again? And I'm praying the same thing over and over again, and it just doesn't seem like God's listening. I assure you, God's listening. Now, it might be the case that God says yes to your prayers. It might be that God says no to the things you're asking for in prayer. And then the third possibility is that God says, you know what, you need to wait. You're not ready for what you're asking for. Just because we may not see an immediate answer to our prayers doesn't mean the Father doesn't hear us. In 1 John chapter 5, John said, This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, listen to Him, He hears us. When David said in Psalm 55, evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud, he goes on to say, and he heard me. Go back and look at some of the prayers of David and others and see how they often prayed to God and God heard them. Do you remember, for example, back in the Old Testament when Hezekiah and the children of Israel were being threatened? by the Assyrian forces. Hezekiah the king, and Hezekiah was a good king. 
Hezekiah went before the Lord in prayer. And it is as if he went before God in prayer and laid everything out before him. And said, this is what, this is what we're up against. And God answered him. God assured him the, Assyr- the Assyrians would not, would not destroy them. And so confidence. There are many times in life when maybe we fail to have the confidence or the assurance that we ought to have in our prayer life to God. You know, the Hebrew writer said in chapter 4, verse 16, Let us therefore draw boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now think about that. He's saying that we as children of God have the right to boldly come before the throne of God and that we can speak with no inhibitions. We can lay the case before God and the assurance is, what's He going to do? He's going to provide mercy and grace to help in our time of need. So Jesus prayed. He spent a lot of time in prayer. And if you look at the life of Jesus, He prayed regularly, He prayed thankfully, and He prayed confidently. There is a fourth thing I would share with you. And that is He prayed fraternally. If you look at Luke 22, you'll find Jesus and the picture that is set before us in this context, the cross lay before Him. And so as he's talking to the apostles, he says to Peter and the apostles, specifically in the text, he addresses Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked or desired you. Why? That he might sift you as wheat. In the original, the idea... When Jesus said, Satan has asked for you or desired you, the idea is Satan has demanded you. He's demanded the apostles. He wants what really doesn't belong to him, but he wants it anyway. And so Jesus is talking about the fact that Satan is after the apostles. And you remember when Jesus said, Satan has demanded you. He went on to say, but I have prayed for you. Now you think about, here is Peter. Peter was very boisterous about his faith in God and about the fact that he would under no circumstances deny the Lord. As a matter of fact, he said he's willing to die die for the Lord. But Jesus knew something about the heart of Peter, knew something about the faith of Peter. And he said on that occasion, Peter, I have prayed for you. Imagine if you can, living in the first century, and the Lord Jesus, the one who stilled the waters, calmed the storms, shut the waves down. And you remember the disciples said, who is this? 
that even the winds and the sea obey Him. This is the one that prayed to the Father on behalf of Peter. The reason I bring this up is because as Christians, we're all in this thing together, aren't we? One of the beautiful aspects of Christianity is that we have the opportunity to be supportive of one another. And we have the opportunity to pray for one another. It is a tremendous privilege to be able to pray for other people, isn't it? Look at the life of Paul. Paul often wrote various congregations and he expressed unto them his unceasing spirit of prayer on their behalf. Why do you think he prayed to them? And do you not think it was encouraging to them to know that here is this great apostle? This is the one that maybe helped to establish this congregation. And he is so interested in our, in our spiritual well-being and welfare that he is praying to the Father on behalf of each and every one of us. And I think about how he, he encouraged others to reciprocate that attitude. For example, in the church at Thessalonica, in chapter 1 in his first letter, he talked about how he prayed for those people. In chapter 5, verse 25, he would say to them, Brethren, pray for us. Could I ask you this morning, is it encouraging to you? When somebody says to you, I know you've had a tough time. I know you've been going through some struggles and, and trials in life. I know things haven't been going maybe as you had planned, but I'm praying for you. Does that encourage you? It's encouraging to know that there are people of like faith that think enough of us to pray on our behalf. To lift up the arms. You remember, you remember again what Jesus taught in Luke 18? That men ought to always pray and not grow weary, not become discouraged. I've said before that one of the great tools of the devil is discouragement. And the devil knows that if he can somehow undermine, undermine your life, with discouragement. There's the real possibility that you'll wave the white flag and say, you know what, I'm done. I quit. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 12 talks about how as Christians we are to run with perseverance or endurance the race that's set before us. Just because we're children of God does not mean that life's just going to go as planned. And we'll never have any problems. We'll never face trials. We'll never have temptation in life. But he did say that we ought to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and ultimately sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he said, you need to consider him, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And so as members of the body of Christ, 
to know that we can bow to the Father in prayer for one another. That we can pray fraternally for each other. Why? Because we're members of the family of God. We're a part of the household of God. And ultimately, we want to go to heaven together. There is a fifth thing I would share with you. Jesus, as I said a moment ago, He prayed regularly, thankfully, confidently, fraternally, and submissively. In Luke 22, Jesus is pictured in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus knew that hour had come. That He was facing the reality of the cross, didn't He? And you, if you look at the accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is in the garden and He is struggling, isn't He? He's struggling. And He is asking God the Father, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, the cup of suffering and anguish. Here is the sinless Son of God, the incarnate Christ, praying to the Father in full recognition that the weight of the cross lay before Him. And He is praying fervently to God. And as he prays to the Father, he says, Not my will, but your will be done. Three times Jesus subjugated his will to the Father's. What does that say about him? What does that say to us? about how our prayer life ought to be regulated. Can I say to you today, one of the most difficult things in life is to pray, not my will, but your will be done. Why is that? Because I think in America, and as members of the human family, we, we tend to want our way, don't we? I mean, we want what we want when we want it. And so to say to God, not my will, but your will be done. Now, John said in 1 John chapter 5, this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that if He hears us, well, we have the prayers that we've asked of Him. But to be willing to say, God, I want your will to take precedence in my life. Do you remember, you remember back in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his traveling companions were intent on, on going one direction. And he received what has often been called the Macedonian call. And he saw a man saying, come over and help us. And I think really what God was saying to Paul on this occasion is, Paul, 
The fields are white over here. I want you to go to Europe because there's an opportunity there for you to share the gospel. Paul wanted to go one direction. God said, I want you to go another direction. And then you look at the life of Paul and you think about what happened on European soil. For example, in Philippi. Do you remember Paul and Silas? How'd that work out for him? Had many stripes laid upon their backs. Their feet were fastened in stocks. Did they not pay the price for answering the call to God? Yes. But we talk about God's will reigning in our lives. So to pray submissively and then finally to pray fervently. Again, if you go to Luke 22, you see Jesus in the garden. And Jesus is praying to the Father. And the text tells us in Luke 22, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly or fervently or intently. Have there been times in your life when you have agonized over a situation? I mean really agonized. You are hurting. You're despondent. And maybe you're shedding tears over what you're facing. That's the picture here. Jesus is in agony. And I want to just say, there are times in life when things can go south fast. And it is as if putting one foot in front of another is all we can do. Life's tough. And Jesus is praying to the Father. This is the very reason He's come to planet Earth. And He is wrestling with the weight of the cross. He is agonizing over what lay before Him. And you remember the Hebrew writer said, who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications. And listen to what he said. With strong crying and tears. Have you ever prayed to God? And you're hurting so badly, you're weeping and crying. And you're laying before Him your heart. You're hurting. I mean, you are hurting. Jesus was hurting. The cross lay before Him. And He is about to bear the sins of the human family. As Peter said, He's going to bear our sins in His body on the cross. Do you remember what Paul said? Him who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf. Jesus has the weight of the cross on His shoulders. And He is fervently praying to the Father. And so I would say to us today, when times get tough, and I mean when they get really tough, the answer is not to give up. The answer is not to abort your prayer life. The answer is to dig deeper, to pray more fervently, 
The Bible talks about the, effect, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We talk about the privilege of prayer and the power of prayer. Listen, Jesus is a role model. I'd encourage all of us today to learn from the prayer life of Jesus. It might be that you're here today and you're not a Christian. And you believe with all your heart Jesus is the Son of God, but you have never become one of His children. You have never acknowledged with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that He is the Son of God. And so today you're willing to do that. And you understand that when you obey the gospel, repenting of your sins and confessing His name and being buried with Him in baptism, that all of your sins can be forgiven, as Luke says in Acts 2, verse 38. God will put you in the church. If you're faithful till death, the promise is the crown of life. If you're here today, and let's just say that you're not what you ought to be, it might be that you're going to resolve today to do better. And as John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You have that opportunity. But James also said, or James taught, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. So we're happy to pray for you today. Whatever need you may have, we'll pray on your behalf. I would hope and pray that as we go forward, our lives will more closely resemble the life of Jesus when it comes to prayer. Won't you come as we stand and sing?